mayonnaise bread bitch. Welcome in football and other efforts. I'm your host, Michael Gillum. I'm joined as always by Zach Lyons and Michael Herndon. The three of us are brought to you by broadwaysportsmedia.com. Come check us out. I say this every week. If you're not going to our website, checking us out, but you're still listening to this podcast, you're, you're weird. I don't know what to do with you, but thank you. But please go check us out. Broadwaysportsmedia.com. Um, boys, we are into the last part of like actual tangible news before the black hole starts of NFL news, rookie mini camps got underway. And uh, we actually do have a full lineup of topics to talk about. Um, but before I dive into that, I do have to say for the second week in a row, local sports radio is just really disappointing me. J Martin Ramon had to go out of their way to talk about barbecue Nashville versus Memphis and then they started naming off good Nashville barbecue spots and damn it if they didn't say and agree on Jim and Nick's barbecue I I, I want to crash the car to turn the radio off <laughs> well let, let me first say this to even broach the subject that there that there there is no competition between Memphis and Nashville right I I get it that we're we're in a dead period where there's no topics but if you're going to talk barbecue, let's let's talk Memphis versus some other city that actually does barbecue at a level that Memphis does barbecue. I mean, right. this is ridiculous. I mean, I like I like Edley's and I, I like Martin's barbecue. I think those are easily the top two Nashville barbecue places in the area. And they do rival some of the places in Memphis that are Memphis owned and originated but it's central barbecue all day long. And I know that I'm going to be a little blasphemous. I think rendezvous is a little overrated. Um, I would actually take either Edley's or Martin's barbecue over rendezvous in Memphis, but central barbecue is head and shoulders above any of the barbecue places in Tennessee. And Jim and Nick's is an Alabama chain, Alabama barbecue. And it's not even the best Alabama barbecue because that belongs to dreamlands barbecue in Birmingham. Like, if you don't know barbecue and you're putting Jim and Nick's on the list, just don't fucking talk food. Like, I get it that you may be a fat <laughs> offensive lineman and you probably ate a lot. You eat more food per capita than most people. But give me a fucking break. If you're you're you might as well just have said Corky's is the best in the world. If you're going to put Jim and Nick's as one of the top three places to get barbecue in the Nashville area. Give me a fucking break. Yeah, um, it, it's ridiculous to say anything about Jim and Nick's as, as an example of Nashville barbecue. It's just not. It's it's like saying, oh, we've got great hamburgers here. Look, we've got McDonald's. I mean, it's – I mean, and Jim and Nick's is fine. Like, it's yeah, perfectly fine food. Yeah, there's nothing wrong food. with Jim and Nick's. It's like it's, like, <laughs> but, it's Walmart, you know, barbecue. Like, I mean, yeah. it's – it's it, you can Walmart get it. And it's <laughs> And it's all right. But, I mean, like, could, could you not have said, like, Jack – coffins or whatever that's called i mean something a little bit more original than it's, jim and fucking nick it's it's martin's and edley's that's it i mean that, those are the two and, and i won't hear any argument for other places and now central barbecues invade in the area they got they're opening up like two or three locations i mean it's over and i'm excited i'm I mean, excited about that I, i'll still go to edley's because edley's got that tuck special they got the uh the pastrami sandwich that sometimes that comes or comes around in the hot chicken uh or hot pork sandwich Edley's is still good. 
don't get me wrong. I love Edley's and it's Look, right up those, there. Those burn-ins from Edley's, I, I would invade another sovereign nation for. I mean, they're, they do burn-ins just damn correct over there, but and look, to their credit, they went down a long list. I mean, they, they listed Jack's, it was a lot of places. But just when you get to Jim and Nick's and you're like, yeah, that's a good Nashville. That's not Nashville barbecue. Jim and Nick's, is, it's a chain. It's just, I was in Memphis once and I watched uh, someone at the front desk of the hotel was trying to tell some uh, tourists that, oh, well, there's a Corky's across the street, Corky's in Memphis. I had literally had to interrupt. I was like, I, no, I'm sorry. Stop. Please stop. Oh, that person should be fired. Should have been fired. She should she should have been fired on the spot to say that in Memphis of all places. All right, let's talk about rookie minicamp. Um, Mike, I will start with you. It's the usual of you know you don't have a ton to discuss, but at least you do get some nuggets and you get to at least see some people on the field. Um, and I'll kind of just ask for your general overview first. You know what. What did you see that you liked? What did you see that you didn't like? Uh, is there too little to even overreact about right now? I mean, <clears throat> there's definitely too little to really overreact about because it's rookie minicamp. Like, it's it's literally more about them teaching these guys how to practice than it is about really even – I mean, they're not doing one-on-ones even. Like, it, it, this is just the basic going through drills, teaching them – how to do the drills that they're going to have to do when the whole team is together. Like really that's more what it's about. Now, obviously you want to see guys picking up stuff and learning and getting better so that they don't become a huge hindrance when they're put through these drills. Right. Cause once the whole team's together and, and all the veterans are back and the guys that know how to go through these drills, they want this thing to run like a smooth, they want to practice to run smoothly. And that's really what rookie minicamp is more about than anything. But anyways, out of what we saw out there, and I, I didn't go out to the uh, to the practice on Saturday, but from what we saw from the videos, I mean, you're not going to get a whole lot out of offensive, defensive line guys. The best drills that I think you can really take anything from is the wide receivers. And frankly, Des Fitzpatrick might be the I don't I don't want to call him the most important rookie in the Titans draft class, but he's probably more important than what his draft round would indicate just simply because of the situation with the position and, and the depth there. And they need him. They need him to produce. Like they need him to be a part of the rotation uh, sooner rather than later. And I think what you saw from him in, in those drills, and again, these were literally just wide receiver drills that they're going to do a million times for between now and the start of the season. But what you saw from him in those drills, I thought was pretty encouraging. I mean, he caught the ball naturally, uh, had, appeared to have good feet. He looks the part, like his build, the size, everything looks like an NFL receiver. To me, you see him going through the drills out there, and then you hear the press conference and the way he spoke about, you know, his dad uh, training him growing up and and how he, you know, tries to develop all these skills and really works at all these routes and everything. I, I think there's some things to like about what we saw and heard from him this past weekend. And no, that doesn't mean I'm putting him in the hall of fame and, and he's the, uh, you know, a superstar or anything like that, but you want to see a guy come in and, 
you know, not be tripping over ladders like uh, Kalijah Lipscomb did or dropping three passes in a row. Um, and, and again, that doesn't mean Kalijah Lipscomb's a terrible player. You know, that, that's one drill, one rep of one drill. But you'd rather see him look like Des Fitzpatrick did in, in the videos that we saw than, than not, you know. So that's, that's probably the one real takeaway that I've got besides uh, Dylan Raiden. Raiden's looks – very athletic to me. Um, and just from a, you know, we talked about, uh, you know, hashtag block of thickness this time last year and uh, Raiden's is certainly not block of thickness, but he is, he carries his 300 pounds very well. Like he is, he is not a big tubby fat guy. He's a, he's an athletic looking 300 pounder. Um, so I'm, I'm uh, encouraged by uh that at least that aspect of it. and I thought his presser was really strong too that listening to these guys speak afterwards because I think it Farley uh Raidens and Fitzpatrick all spoke to the media after practice those press conferences were fantastic I thought all three of those guys sounded great hit exactly the the kind of tone and notes that you would want them to and either they're being coached up really well or you know they really believe it but either way you know they're saying what you want to hear from guys uh in rookie minicamp yeah, I mean, I, I there's there's a lot that I gotta what got from rookie minicamp just off of Buck Show, right? Because we're we're we don't have boots on the ground, obviously. So everything that we hear or see is either gonna be video clips on Titans Twitter uh, from the media, or it's gonna be on the radio shows or from articles and stuff like that. And I I think that I got the most uh, from Buck's show on Monday out of anything that came out of this weekend. I got some really good snippets and some good takeaways from it. And I'll start with Elijah Molden, um, which comes to the fact that, you know, I think it's a little bit concerning, but not much concerning because you heard what Rex Road asked Vrabel and Vrabel said, well, if he was on the practice, you know, injury report, it would have been limited. So I don't think it's that big of a concern. But what I love to hear was this snippet from Buck that said that, Elijah Molden did come out to practice, which we we did hear Mike Vrabel say. And basically, when other cornerbacks were doing drills or defensive backs were doing their drills and they did something wrong and Anthony Midget corrected him, he's standing right next to Anthony Midget and soaking up the knowledge of this is why I corrected that that technique or why I did that. And here's what we're doing. And here's the why. He's he's soaking up the knowledge of why. And this is a, a player that already has probably the best instincts and technique in the probably the defensive back class almost of 2021 i mean his football iq is out of this world it's one of the reasons why he was supposed to go into the second round and i think that that is huge that even though that he may not be physically out there as far as you know running the drills to go through the motions soaking up that knowledge from a coach in kind of those situations and learning from other people's mistakes. That's huge. So that was one of my big takeaways. The other one that Buck kind of alluded to, which I don't know where this was going, uh, but he basically said they're not allowed to talk about the position that Dylan Radins was playing and where he spent most of his time. Now to me, that would allude to that he didn't spend most of his time practicing at tackle. He was obviously on another spot on the line learning something. 
Now, whether that is, you would assume it's a guard position, but I found that very interesting that Dylan Radens was primarily what Buck was alluding to, kind of hinting at, was that he wasn't really at the tackle position um, practicing. So I thought that was a little bit of a takeaway. And I'll say this about Des Fitzpatrick. Uh, I think you're right. I think if you're ranking the importance of the players on the team, obviously he was picked at because we had two-thirds, fifth overall. Uh, he was the fifth draft pick of the, of the Titans draft class. Um, but I, I think he's probably top three. I think you're, you're obviously wanting Caleb Farley, number one, Dylan Radins, number two. And I think you can make an argument where you flip flop those. And then I think he's the third most important rookie in this uh, draft class. So I agree with you there. He did have a great interview and he, he learned very quickly. Now people are probably going to start accusing me. Well, you've already talked shit about Des. You can't do this. My, my whole thing about Des, and I'll reiterate it. And he's caught in the crosshairs because he is the player they decided to pick. I just thought that the, the value invested in Dez is a lot for him to live up to. And I think that it was the wrong move by the Tennessee Titans. Now, saying that, I have always hope, I hope that all of our players are all stars. Like, I hope that every player that we draft are all pros. I'm not rooting against Dez, and I don't want Dez to fail. I want the opposite. I'm just being realistic in my expectations. And when and we'll get into the state of the roster, but when you look at what they've invested in him and what they've done since and what they've done with the offseason, they are putting a lot of eggs in the basket of a fourth round draft pick. And I do not care that his dad told people that he that he teams had a second round grade. That that means nothing to me. It's it's probably bullshit. How would he know? Give me a break. And listen, I'll say this about the dad and the mom. Sounds like they're meddlers. Meddlers, uh, I'm not a big fan of meddlers when it comes to players. I've dealt with a few players in a, in a previous line of business, and they had parents that meddled. They never panned out. I'm not saying there's a direct correlation or anything. I'm just saying, don't like meddlers. And they sound like that they're, they're meddling in, in, in the aspects that are financial and stuff like that. So while I do have high hopes for Dez, and I hope that he, he – you know, that he's something that historically probably he won't be, but they, they need Des to step up. And I hope that everything from his press conference translates to on the field and on Sundays. Zach has some low flying helicopter parents just buzzing the dealership. Uh, the helicopter parents, man. Oh, and I will say this Naquan Jones. How awesome is it that he was the only defensive lineman in the group? So he got all the coaching and soaked it up. Naquan Jones is the next Daquan Jones, and it's great. I, I, was. That, I thought it was interesting that Rabel came out and said Naquan Jones, you know, they asked him about him, and, you know, he said he was actually in the process of pulling clips from his work at practice to show the team. And, uh, you know, as, as examples of a guy taking coaching and improving from day to day. So that's, that's encouraging for, uh, for a guy, you know, trying to, trying to make the roster that you're getting your clips pulled and shared with the team. Cause that honestly, that's as close to a compliment as Rabel will give a rookie, uh, you know, publicly, because, you know, even if you ask him, even back in, in AJ Brown's rookie season, I, I remember, you know, them asking Vrabel about AJ Brown and, and he just was like, Oh yeah, you know, he's doing what we ask him to do, but you know, that's, that's, uh, 
he does not go out of his way to give praise to young guys. So I thought that was interesting. Doesn't again, you know, he might not make the roster, but that's a, that's a good start at least. Couple notables um, from the injury standpoint that didn't participate in rookie minicamp. Um, Caleb Farley did not dress. Um, Elijah Molden, according to Paul Karski, uh, only did a little and moved gingerly. Um, any concerns there? I mean, I know we're talking about rookie minicamp, but you know, I gotta throw that out there. No concerns for me. I mean, it, I have Farley. We we knew Farley was not going to be at rookie minicamp. We all knew that going on into it. I I don't know why there's some well, people. We we all knew because we right. all listened to everybody but, fucking say for about a two months that he will be ready by training camp. He said it. Everybody in the media said it. it the there should been no fucking surprise that he wasn't camp. out there practicing. And he won't be there. In in just to go ahead and and get this out there, he's not going to be there for. Second phase of OTAs, which is going on this week. He's not going to be out there for third phase OTAs. He's not going to be there for rookie or for uh, full mini camp, mandatory mini camp, most likely. He's going to be targeting the opening week of training camp. So let's not freak out every time Caleb Farley misses something that we already knew he was going to miss. Let's just, if he starts, here's the appropriate time to freak out on Caleb Farley. If we get to training camp and he's put on PUP and we're a week into training camp and he's still on PUP and not out there and not even out on the third field, that is the appropriate time to start freaking out about Caleb Farley. And I will not listen to any freakouts before then. Um, so stop it, save them, save all your stress and all your worry for that moment, because that's the only moment that really matters is when you get to training camp and then the molden thing, not worried at all about a guy limping a little bit. Uh, you know, he probably tweaked an ankle or hamstring or something during the first uh, first rookie minicamp practice, which was on Friday, and the media was not out there for, so we wouldn't know, uh, you know, if he got hurt during that practice or not. But, I mean, it's probably a minor thing. The fact that he was even out there at all tells me that it's not some major injury that he's going to miss regular season time for we're still talking about a regular season that's four months away yeah so, it's, it's may i don't think they're gonna <laughs> chop off his leg yeah let's let's pump the brakes on injury report uh over analyzing and just worrying ourselves like chewing our nails down to the quick over elijah molda molden limping at a practice four months before a regular season and, and, sa and save your victory laps over Caleb Farley. If you were anti Caleb Farley, as yes, far as please. his injury concerns that he didn't show up to minicamp, that's not the victory lap that you want to be taken first off. And second off, you're still fucking wrong because he told everybody it'd be training camp. You fucking uh. dinguses. So long story short, go ahead and email all those concerns uh, right to Mike Herndon or DM. Go ahead and DM just football and other F-words and Mike at the same time. Mike will address Let's not, let's not take start it another human, mock draft thing yeah, here. Take it back to human.resources at broadwaysportsmedia.com. Mike, did you, actually, did you actually get people DMing you? Mike? Yes, I did. And I ignored them all. Oh, my God. That's awful. Please DM your concerns about uh, Molden directly to uh, Mike. Um, so... That's it. I mean, that's working at a camp, right? You know, if, yeah. if, if you're logging on looking for this like extensive breakdown, I, and we're not, I'm not trying to be cute when I say this, there's really not a lot. And the reason why I'm bringing that up is because there's nothing to freak out about right now. Now, obviously, we're going to get into some stuff that we're, we are going to have our own little mini freak out about, mainly. Kalijah Lipscomb shows up to rookie mini camp, looks terrible. So the Titans immediately sign him to the roster. 
I, I think it's just funny. I mean, like, I get it. Yeah. it this, these are the moves you can expect the Titans to make. You, if you're looking 100%. for anything more than than a Kalijah Lipscomb XS signing, you're not going to get it. These are the moves that they are going to be making for the rest of the thing. They're at their bottom of the roster moves. I, I think it's hilarious, right? Because it's not just the video clips. I mean, when you hear and read what Buck and PK both talked about, and then he left with an injury at some point, or at least maybe he got tired or had cramps. It's just, it's just funny, right? Like, I'm not expecting Kalijah Lipscomb or whoever they sign on this, like the t- whoever they keep as the 12th wide receiver currently, because right now it went from Rashard Davis and now it's Kalijah Lipscomb, right? Those guys aren't going to contribute. Like Kalijah Lipscomb is going to be on the practice squad, and that's fine. It, it, it's just if funny. he's lucky, if he's yeah. lucky, he'll be on the practice it's squad. Just that, funny. That's the thing. Yeah, just stop freaking out over wide receiver 12. Like, please, yeah. we've got other things to concern ourselves with besides the the last guy, the 90th man on a 90-man roster. But I also love that Jim Wyatt now has two times in mailbags said that the Titans aren't are more than likely going to sign a wide receiver. And those two wide – immediately, almost, those wide receivers are Fred Brown in the after the first one and Clyde Lipscomb after the second one. It's It's funny. Listen, Jim White even I, I, said it. He has not heard anything. He no, is and, and he's, he's not giving away any like inside info. I don't think you know because no. if they did tell him, which I don't think they do, uh, he's certainly not going to put it out in a mailbag uh, that that the Titans are doing that. So, well, all um, around, yeah. So I do disagree, though. I still think there is going to be at least one significant addition to this roster. I don't know what position it's going to be, but I think, I don't think they're going to roster with this, this uh, they're going to camp with this roster as it stands right now. And I'm not talking about like a Fred Brown or Kalijah Lipscomb. I'm talking about a guy that has NFL experience and can contribute. I, I think they're going to sign or trade for somebody. And no, I'm not saying Julio Jones. I, I, Julio is like a less than 5%, you know, mostly wish cast kind of thing. I think it depends on your definition of noteworthy um, or significant. Uh, I would agree Melvin Ingram or, or Justin Houston, but I, after the news coming out about Ryan Kerrigan, I just don't, th- I think they're going to be, they're, they're happy with where they're at on the offensive line or sorry, outside linebacker. I, I think they've invested enough and shown enough about Des Fitzpatrick that they're probably going to roll with the wide receivers as is. I think that leaves tight end, and I think it's your definition of significant or whatever. But then again, these tight ends looked pretty good going through their stuff. They may go a while with that. I, I just I've I have a hard time finding someone that uh, they're actually going to invest money in and bring on at this point in, in the roster when you could just go through and look at it. And I I will say this. So the Titans, if you look at, if you look at the roster as it stands right now, the best, the best case scenario, the the thing that would be the best for this franchise would be for somebody to emerge, right? Somebody that is currently on the roster to emerge as a legitimate player. So whether that's Cameron Batson, you know, finally getting a bigger opportunity and turning into like an actual, you know, reliable slot receiver or whether that's, you know, Nick Westbrook, Akina actually becoming a good wide receiver or Des Fitzpatrick becoming a good wide receiver or what, whatever 
the best case scenario is for one of those guys to emerge because they're cheap. They're under team control for several years and you don't have to go out and spend the money on, on somebody. So the best case scenario is that somebody on the roster steps up and, and can make plays for you. Now, I, I think the Titans will go add somebody if they get to, if they go through this phase and they feel like nobody's really given them what they need. Uh, you know, they may, they may wait all the way till mandatory minicamp and, and actually get to see like the full team uh, on the field together and, and get a better feel for it. But I, I think there's still options out there and they could still be waiting on like, you know, what happens with Jamison Crowder Are the jets just going to, ride him at $10 million for, for a year when they've got Corey Davis and Elijah Moore and um, Denzel, Mims. Uh, Denzel Mims. And uh, they have another one, I think too, that that was relatively highly drafted or, or something like that. But anyways, they've got a, a, a lot of wide receivers all of a sudden for the jets and Crowder at $10 million is super expensive for them. So I think there's still guys out there that could hit the market, we saw Deshaun Hamilton uh, almost get released, or I guess it did get released, uh, but then it turned out he tore his ACL. So it's kind of a bad situation with him, but I thought the Titans could have been involved for for him. Not that he would have been some huge move, but... I'm about to say that you're you're, yeah. you're talking about wide receiver 12s, and he's, he'd be wide receiver 9 on the team. Uh, I think he'd be closer to 5 or 6. I mean, he's a guy that that, that belongs on an NFL roster to me. Um, but I, I think, I think they'll make a move somewhere. I think somebody is going to be added to the roster of some significance. Although would that, they have don't, been, would that have qualified as a significant signing? No, though, no, I, no, I, I wouldn't have con- considered yeah. Deshaun Hamilton to be a big, addition. That, that's what I'm saying. I think it's all definition of significant. Like some people here would think that golden Tate is a significant signing. I think if golden you Tate's add fucking a, washed, I mean, he's, golden he's, Tate he's would bad. be, a relatively significant signing simply because you expect him to play like, right. If you sign him, you expect him to play. Right. Um, so I don't, I'm, that, I'm not going to argue. I'm not, I'm not going to argue whether or not golden Tate would be good. Cause <laughs> yeah. I agree with you. I don't think he's good, <laughs> but disaster. I think he would be a significant addition because he's not a guy that you signed to stick on special teams, right? Like you sign him because you want him to play snap. So right. I, I think, if you're signing a guy that's that you're expecting to play like at least a 40 or 50% snap share, that's what I would consider significant. And I think there's a guy that will be added that is not on the roster right now. That's going to end up playing 40 to 50% of snaps. Ooh, writing that down. All right. Titans, Titans trade for Aaron Rodgers. Hope to use him on special teams. (laughs) (laughs) Is that a significant signing? Um, So let's talk about Ryan Kerrigan signs at the Eagles. One of my favorite comments in the Twitter thread uh, thread from Schefter where he announced it is someone said in all caps, he'd rather sign with his blood rifle than continue to play in Schittsburg. That's how much Eagles and Washington fans love each other. But um, the interesting note was Schefter tweeting out teams that showed the most interest in Kerrigan were the Eagles, Steelers, and Bengals, but he opted to stay in the NFC East. No mention of the Titans there. Which I find very surprising because – we all know, according to reports, that the Titans were interested at the trade deadline in trading for Ryan Kerrigan, or at least called to kick the tires on him, right? And then, the, you know, the Titans signed Bud Dupree. They draft Rashad Weaver. They already had Harold Landry and Derek Roberson is on there. We know that 
the Tennessee Titans like Roberson, and he would be their fourth outside linebacker technically if Rashad Weaver gets to play. So that that was a little surprising. That lets me know right there that they are comfortable with the depth and the way that their outside linebackers are currently constructed, and they're baking on Rashad Weaver to be available and for this whole thing to probably blow over. And that's why I, I, I think that those that are wishing that Justin Houston comes or Melvin Ingram comes, I've seen both those names, you know, and trust me, I would love either of those guys to show up on this team. I just think that as it sits right now, I think they're comfortable with what they have in the defensive line rotation and they're comfortable with what they have in the outside linebacker rotation. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not totally sure on that. Cause I, it's just I think, context clues for me. I'm just picking up the context yeah. clues. I mean, I would have expected them to be in on Kerrigan as well, but I, I'm not, I wouldn't rule out the idea that possibly they weren't in on Kerrigan because they were in on Houston or Ingram, you know, that, that could be a possibility. I don't, I don't know that they'd be out there pursuing all of them uh, at the same time if, if they were looking to add one. Um, so it could be that they've zeroed in on someone else that they like, but I, it's certainly possible that they're more comfortable with the depth there. I, I just worry about, I mean, Bud Dupree's coming off an, uh, of an ACL. I know he's, he's expected to be ready to go for training camp and there's no real concerns about his availability week one, but it sure would be nice if you, you know, if he did suffer a setback or if he did need a little bit of time to really get you know, back to full speed. If you had somebody with some experience that you could plug in there for, you know, 30, 40% of snaps early on as Bud works his way into, you know, his, his normal workload. Um, it would really be nice to have that. Right. Like, and, and so I think there's, and we don't know with Weaver, like whether he's going to end up suspended for part of the season or, or what the situation is going to be there. So, I don't know. I, I think for me, it's a little irresponsible of them if they enter the season with Harold Landry, Bud Dupree coming off injury and a possibly suspended Rashad Weaver as the, I mean, Derek Roberson, like I I've liked Derek Roberson. I liked him like early on, but he was a, he was on the field a lot last year and didn't do anything. I mean, he, he is to me a guy that you, if you could get anything out of him, great but I don't want him anywhere near the top three uh, of a pass rush rotation when, when, you know, everybody's healthy. And, and let me say this, they, they invested a lot in their defensive back group. And I think that maybe that is a good sign there as well, that they feel that, you know, even with the lack of depth at the outside linebacker position of what you're alluding to, they may think that, okay, well, our cornerbacks will at least buy some time during if, if someone were to miss a few weeks of injury. I mean, and, and do I fine, agree with but, that philosophy? But, no, but I, but I think Roberson, that's what the Tennessee Titans are thinking. But we saw, we saw times last year where quarterbacks were literally just standing in the pocket for, I mean, five, six seconds with no one even close to them. And that was when Roberson was on the field a lot of times. So, I mean, I, I just I, don't. I, listen, I agree with you. I just I just think that the Titans view it a little bit differently. Yeah. I mean, maybe they do. I just, I, I would, it would make me feel a lot better. If, if I was, if my 
job going into this offseason. It was John Robinson's job of you have to fix this defense at all costs. I sure as hell would not be sitting on uh, edge rushers when I could have a, a Ryan Kerrigan for three and a half million dollars. Or, or Well, that's why you're you know, not in the analytics guys. department. And well, yeah. <laughs> because well, they, we they don't want to hear your common sense and your analytics. They just want to go off gut feelings and and uh, uh, the old the old I, tape studies. Yeah, I don't I don't want to get totally sidetracked on that, but that analytics shit come that came out this weekend uh, was absolutely it, it just refueled my anger at them over that the fact that they have zero people on staff and now they're now the only NFL team with no analytics people on staff and I'm now sorry that's but that's not like, true they have that stretch, guy in the ticket office stretch. they have that <laughs> Like well, the yeah, office, he's yeah. a data analyst. This says well, yes. right there in his name. Some, some, somebody came after, uh, came after me and said, "No, look at these two guys. They're, they have a data analyst and a personnel analyst." Well, the data analyst works in the ticket office for the marketing department, and then the personnel analyst is an old coach. He's by analyst, they mean like he's like reviewing tape and looking at, at personnel, not he's per- crunching the numbers and running high level like. Monte Carlo simulations of uh, NFL football games. I don't he's, think he's that guy picked up a mathematics PhD in his spare time while he was coaching. Um, so yeah, they don't have an analytics person. Um, they, if, they, if your use, analytics person doesn't look like us, if that, they, if your department <laughs> of analytics doesn't look like a bunch of fucking nerds, then you're doing it wrong. They, they use stretch Vrabel's like assistant and like a bunch of scouts who are moonlighting as as quant nerds uh, that are like pencil whipping third down tendency rates, and they're calling that analytics. Which look, that's great, and that is a part of analytics. But there are people who are doing it on so much higher of a level, and I can't believe. I'm sorry, I'm just gonna go on this tirade here. <laughs> I, I can't. We, we weren't really building roster grades anyway, so this is this is probably much better. I cannot believe the amount of pushback I got on Twitter when I was bitching about them not having an analytics department. People going, well, what did analytics ever do for these other teams? Look at the Jaguars. They've got a lot of analytics people, and they suck. The Titans won 11 games last year. That's fucking great. Look, analytics isn't going to make the Jaguars not suck. Like, at the end of the day, you still have to have the players. You still have to have the coaches. That's that. Those are the two most important things of football. But in a league that is competitive as the NFL, where the margins are as slim, you know, from winning to losing is like one or two points most games. The fact that any team would leave any edge, any potential edge on the table for all 31 other teams to take, because all 31 other teams have fucking taking, taken this at this point, they are at least pursuing analytics to some degree more than having a bunch of scouts write some numbers on paper. Uh, it, the fact that you're letting all 31 other teams have an, have an edge on you, however small it is, because the opportunity cost is like 500 grand worth of salaries and software. I mean, shit, it, they spend 500 grand on almost anything they do. I mean, look, look at the amount of salaries they've got in the fucking marketing department. Like you can't spare 500 grand for a couple nerds to sit in a room and run simulations. And maybe you learn we'll something, it. 
maybe you learned something that you didn't know that, that your coaching instincts and gut feelings couldn't tell you because they can't, you know, run an analysis that, that models, you know, 10,000 different possibilities, you know, in, in 0.2 seconds, like, listen, I'm not saying analytics is the reason that any team wins or loses the Super Bowl, but if it wins you one more game per year, that's fucking definitely worth $500,000 a year. Like just one more game. And it it doesn't even have to be one more game every year. Just one more game over five years. It's worth it. Like that is, why would you not? Why would you not is my thing. It drives me absolutely insane that they just punted on this whole thing and said, oh, well, you know, we run some numbers with the scouts. Fuck that. And and this whole thing of comparing like, oh, well, other teams are doing this and other teams are doing that. Here's the thing. I don't care about the other 31 teams. I care about the Tennessee Titans, right? I don't care that the Jaguars have a bad analytics department that may have not resulted in a win. Let me tell you something. Just because the Jaguars can't hire good staff doesn't mean the Titans can't, right? I mean, like, who in Jacksonville really knows how to work a computer? They're probably all still using dial-up down in Jacksonville, getting on AOL. Listen, we're, we're in Nashville, right? The t- Tennessee Titans are in Nashville. I am sure there are plenty of analytic analytics groups or data groups that are above or head and shoulders above everybody else that they could hire or source out, you know, the job to just because that the Jaguars who are historically known for not hiring the right people. So I could venture to say they probably did not hire the right analytics group or the right staff members just because it failed there doesn't mean it will fail here in Tennessee. And then this goes back to And it doesn't mean that the analytics guys failed necessarily. It just means that they were a shitty team with shitty players. Like, right. You know? The analytics department does not make every decision. You know what I'm saying? Like they give they give someone else the information. Here is the data that we have collected, and here's what we recommend. Whether they use that recommendation or not is up to the coach, right? It's up yeah. to the and, GM. And I'm not asking the Titans to listen to everything the nerds say, but it, you should at least know what they say. And you should at least be able to take that into account when you're making decisions, not just completely say, well, we don't even want to know. Like, yeah. what kind of strategy is that? Yeah, that's that that's completely asinine. Seth Walder, ESPN sports analytics writer, is the one who put out this initial list um, that kind of started this whole thing. You got you got teams who've got, I mean, the Jaguars have like eight or nine people listed, right? Some teams only have one person listed. That's multiple teams only have one person listed. The most embarrassing fucking thing on this list, Titans, just have NA. Yeah. The only team that just have no one listed. It's just, I mean, I mean Paul Karski put it great, which is just in 2021, this is just weird. Like what what you can't bring it upon yourself to bring one person in just to monitor their stuff. I mean, what what the hell is their excuse? You just come in and say, Oh, well, we got Doug over there watching the security cameras. Is that what you're talking about? Is that <laughs> is that analytics? I mean, like. Just, I just don't get it. It's just one of those things that why are you bucking the trend against something that there is no need to buck the trend on? And, and, and another thing is, is like, why, why are fans comparing us to the Jaguars, right? Like don't compare us to the bad teams just because the Jaguars felt, like I said earlier, just because Jaguars felt something. It's like, it's like the scouting of Rashad Weaver or, or Isaiah Wilson. 
you know, when I bring up that, you know, the Titans process has obviously got an issue in some regard, somewhere in the scouting process, an issue, people will immediately say, well, other teams missed out on it. Other teams didn't know about Rashad Weaver. I mean, only some teams knew. Yeah, I'd rather be the some teams knew than the teams that didn't know, because more than likely the teams that didn't know anything about it are shitty teams <laughs> that are bad at historically bad at drafting. Or they're probably teams that didn't even care to investigate Rashad Weaver because they, they didn't even have Rashad Weaver on the board. Just because other teams do something bad doesn't mean that's okay that the Titans do something bad. And that, that drives me up the wall. Set your standards higher. Be, we, we should want the Tennessee Titans to be better than any of the other teams in the NFL. Not, okay, well, the other teams are doing it or the other teams suck at this, so it's okay if we do. And, and listen, like – the I know the analytics thing that everyone that always always jumps to mind for everybody is uh you know oh well fourth down decisions you know they they it'll help with fourth down decisions which is very important like the Titans arguably got their season ended because of a fourth down decision that was bad and wrong and analytics would have absolutely told you not to do uh when Mike Vrabel punted on fourth and what was it four. Uh, at the Ravens 40 yard line with a f just what six minutes to go or, or whatever it was in that playoff game that they ended up losing by four points. So, you know, for one, maybe if he listens to analytics, he gets that call right and the Titans go on to win the game. Who knows? But even beyond fourth down decisions, this is where, I mean, this kind of, this is the kind of information you can get from analytics. All of these teams, you know, on now have trackers in all the shoulder pads and stuff like that. They they're and the Titans do some of this, so they they do track work rate and and stuff like that at practice and understand how much physical exertion these guys have put in individually, and that's how they're able to come up with their individual plans. So they they are doing some stuff like that, but teams like the Eagles and the Ravens and, and the Colts, you know, all, all these teams that do use a lot of uh, analytics. Um, they're looking at data like how much did the linebackers move on this specific play call? And they can look at for one specific play call, how much the linebackers moved for this play action pass. So they can know, all right, is there something that's affecting the linebackers biting on play action or not? And, and they can look at it over a big group. And they, this is what they've got. This is what these people that they're hiring that are dedicated to this are doing. They are looking for information like, hey, whenever you guys call, you know, outside zone, you know, play action boot, you're you're not get you're not selling it enough or or you're not setting it up well enough because you're not getting any linebacker movement from the defense. They're immediately dropping. Like they're giving them information on stuff like that. It's not just fourth down decision-making and oh, you should always go for it or whatever. Like it is far more advanced than that. It's only getting more advanced. The teams that are ahead in this department right now are only going to get further ahead. Uh, so look, the Eagles largely attributed a big part of their success in 2017 when they ended up going on to win the Super Bowl to their adoption of analytics and and you remember the whole story throughout that whole playoff run and and, and everything was uh, wow the eagles are so aggressive on fourth down and they really add value because they score more points because they're they're not giving up these possessions they're continuing to keep the ball 
And the Colts do that to a huge degree. The Colts have killed the Titans on fourth and ones and fourth and twos. How much does it drive you crazy that every time, you know, you stop, uh, you know, the Colts on third and third and one, you know, they're just going to come back and, and run another play and probably get it. Like the Colts always do it. And the fact that they know they're doing it opens up their playbook on third down. So they're not only getting value by going for, uh, fourth down conversions and keeping the ball, but they're also getting value because they know that they can go for it if they end up short. So they open up more of the playbook on third down. So there's so much value to be had from knowing these things and pl game planning around it. And it's not replacing coaching. It's augmenting coaching and helping your coaches be better informed and understand uh, what's going on that maybe they can't see with their own two eyes. So I just don't understand why any NFL team would pass on that considering that the cost is so low. I mean, you don't have to be, you don't have to start a company, uh, you know, uh, your own analytics company and build a model from scratch. There are companies out there, you know, edge sports up in Louisville, they're three hours down the road. They're one of the most advanced analytics companies doing football stuff. Uh, you know, they, they consult with a lot of NFL teams. That, so, that was just funny. They're one of the advanced, most advanced companies in, in the United States doing football stuff, doing football stuff. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, they, they do football analytics. So they, you know, they are literally a three hour drive up the road. They're closer to the Titans than every NFL team, except for the Bengals. So there's just no excuse for teams like the Eagles, who I know consulted with them in the past, and all these other franchises, I think the Colts consulted with them in the past to be using these guys and the Titans not like, why would you not use resources that are readily available? I just don't understand at all. And it's just, it's, that's it's one of the most frustrating things about this franchise in this regime under John Robinson. I, and I, it's not like I hate John Robinson. I, I think he's done a good job generally as general manager, but this is a huge blind spot of his and it drives me crazy because it's, it's like a unforced error. I may, I may have to clip off that. I hate John Robinson. Cause you, you had two good <laughs> pauses right there. I think I may clip it off. Uh, I've got to, I've got to do better about slurring my words together. <laughs> so you can't get a good clean copy of something like that. Just, just get on with a couple of drinks under your belt. And I love John Robinson. No, but I just don't like, I don't get this, the NFL is a business. These teams are franchises. I mean, that I use analytics at my work. I mean, I don't personally do it, but we have an entire department that does analytics just looking for trends. Anyone who is worth any amount of salt looking at the stock market is trying to run trends to make their clients money or anything. It's every single company in the U.S., is looking at some sort of data set to try to figure out any kind of trends or anything to make themselves better. Why would the Titans want to be the only group out of this entire group of 32 franchises to not try this? And it just kind of brings a larger point to me of as much as I appreciate and like what the Titans organization does on many aspects, it's things like this. I don't get, it's not only that they don't want to do it, but you can't get a straight answer out of the organization of, are they, are they actually doing it? Are they outsourcing it? Is this a focus of yours? It's just, what is the secrecy around it? Either you're doing it or you're not. And if you're not doing it, what is the point of not doing it? Yeah, I mean, I, and, and I guess the only like possible explanation would be like, maybe they've got some black site uh, analytics team that's that's like 
located underground somewhere in Nashville and they, they don't list them on any, any of the company, uh, you know, the website or, or anywhere. They're not even like on the payroll. Technically they're just paid cash by John Robinson himself as he like goes and checks in on, on them every, uh, every week or whatever. It, that's, that's maybe the explanation. They've just got like I'm a team of, of underground uh, analysts just working. Now I'm just picturing uh, that's the gentleman kind of, uh, you know, the layout that like there's a yes. shipping container on some farm out in uh, Leaper's Fort. And in that yeah. shipping container, you go down into the underground and that's where the analytics are at. Exactly. And it's, it's like a bright room and they're just all in there working away at their little computer stations and, and creating these like beautiful mind football diagrams. Uh, and then John Robinson goes and checks on the farm every uh, every couple yeah. of weeks. Here's what I'm gonna say for the for those Tennessee Titans staff members at the at the facility that are listening to this podcast. I know there's probably like two or three, probably, and I don't care where they rank. Go tell John Robinson I will rededicate my whole life to <laughs> analytics. I can already work Excel. I know uh, I can pull data like crazy. I love it. I, I yes, I'm not classically trained in the art of data analytics, but I can do it and I can help this team. Come, come hire me. I will read it. I'll g grab all the books. I'll listen. If you pay for schooling, I'll go get a master's in data analytics. I'll even do school and work for you. I am here to help improve the Tennessee Titans and I will rededicate my whole life to it classically trained i really want this to turn into some situation where 20 years from now there's some juilliard of football analytics school. oh he went to juilliard oh my god oh, you know the patriots pull trained. from them a lot right, let, let's let's bag out jacksonville and urban meyer to make myself feel better um he decided to use first round draft pick travis Etienne as a wide receiver during rookie mini camp just go and and they told him that when they drafted him and he called and they talked to him on the phone, they immediately told him, you are going to become a wide receiver. This isn't a running back like Najee Harris's case where they're getting him a lot of balls out of the backfield and, and getting him uh, trained up in rookie manicamp to do that. They are literally converting him from a running back to wide receiver. They have LaVisca Chenault, who is the same kind of player as Travis Etienne, who already knows how to play wide receiver. And it's just unbelievable that this is how well, – it's you know what? It's totally believable that this is how Urban Meyer is approaching this. I mean, they have James Robinson. We all were left scratching our head when they drafted Travis Etienne in the first round. Now we know why, but now they've drafted him ahead of actual wide receivers. You could have drafted just an actual wide receiver, and apparently they wanted Kadarius Tony, but Kadarius Tony went off the board, and that's who they wanted. So they already wanted a wide receiver, uh, mainly a slot gadget-esque wide receiver who you had to manufacture plays to get in the ball in the in the ball in his hands. And now they're having to do that for a running back that they're just going to convert to wide receiver. Like it, it just makes no speaking of the analytics department, either they told them to do this and it's the worst analytics department, or there's probably people that are just saying, well, they're not going to listen to us anyway. We might as well just collect this paycheck. They're like the Trent yeah. bulky of Dana analytics. Yeah. Ur Urban Meyer isn't listening to them. Ur Urban Meyer. So this is, this is what I think happened. And we know, cause he publicly said it. 
Urban Meyer wanted Kadarius Tony uh, yeah. with that pick, and Kadarius Tony went off the board. And so Urban Meyer looked at it and was like, "Well, let me draft someone else and see if I can make him Kadarius Tony." Because <laughs> I think he basically just uh, Travis Etienne and was like, "I don't know, maybe he could be Kadarius Tony." So I I think that's what's going on here. It's hilarious. It's terrible. Um, and, and look what the Steelers are doing with Najee Harris at rookie minicamp makes some sense because look at rookie minicamp, especially when you don't have enough players to even line up 11, 11 and, and try, you know, to go through walkthroughs and look at run fits and stuff like that. There's not a lot for running backs to do, right? Like at rookie minicamp, there's just, there just isn't. So letting him get some reps at wide receiver, probably more valuable for him. And that I would feel the same way if that's what the Jaguars were doing with ETN, but they're not, that's, they're telling us they want him to be a wide receiver uh, and, and to line him up there when the season <laughs> starts. I don't understand why you would spend a first round pick one on a running back, but then two on a running back that you're going to try to make a wide receiver. Like he's a running back for a reason. Probably. I don't think Clemson was sitting on the next, uh, you know, Deandre Hopkins and just didn't realize it. I think they played him at the position he's best at. (laughs) And and they're looking for like the next Percy Harvin or Curtis Samuel. Like, right. Right. Sure. I guess. I mean, if those are the two guys that you want, I mean, like, I guess right, I know those Percy, guys played receiver in college. Yeah, I just <laughs> I I don't understand it, but I love it. I love every uh, yeah, second it's, of it's, it. The whole thing's going to be a beautiful disaster. I just I, I love there. We can't go like two weeks without Urban Meyer doing something crazy. And, we didn't and, even like, go one week. On Last week it was no, Tebow. No. This week it was Travis Etienne. I can't wait to see what this week holds. Yeah. So I, I my, one of my favorite quotes out of this is from Marcus Spears on, um, on ESPN. <clears throat> I'll read the full quote. It's a little lengthy. Damn, Urban, first off, if Travis Etienne is going to be a wide receiver in the Jags offense, Rashad Bateman went to the went two picks later to the Baltimore Ravens. The dude, just talking about Etienne, was an elite back at Clemson, national champion, did did his work out of the backfield. If James, Rob, James Robinson, again, Jags, is the guy, go draft a wide receiver. This is crazy. I don't want to re- overreact crazy, and I expect Etienne to be in the backfield. But if dude is going to line up solely in the slot, Urban Meyer is going to be on TV again over there on Fox talking about college football in 2022. (laughs) And to be honest, he shouldn't be doing that. I mean, if you're making this bad decisions, I don't want to hear your analysis on national TV anymore. Like, I mean, your analysis is obviously dirt awful. And this is this is fucking insane. And you're right. There was Rondell Moore, who was very yeah. much like Kadarius Tony. There was Elijah Rashad Bateman, Moore. Elijah Moore. I mean, think of all the wide receivers they could have had. Instead, they drafted a running back. That's now a wide receiver. The it's only so good thing dumb. for this for the NFL is that fantasy wise is that he's probably going to have that RB slash wide receiver designation where you can play him in either slot depending on your uh, roster. I'm not touching any Jaguars in fantasy. That's like not a long standing rule for me. Oh no, I'm out. I, I don't want him. I don't I, I don't I don't need the headache of of having a Jaguar on my fantasy roster. It's been a long standing rule of mine. I can't remember the last Jaguar player I actually had on my roster. Probably I Fred can. Taylor. It might might have been. Might have <laughs> been. The good old days for Jacksonville. Back when they used to just get smashed by the Titans and all their hopes and dreams ruined, but they were actually relevant. 
I mean, I don't know how the Titans are going to deal with ETN in the slot if they don't have any analytics to back it up. Did you see that? See what I did there? Uh, back to an earlier topic. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we've come full circle now. I just, you know what? It's almost like Urban listens to our podcast and he's like, I got to throw him another little piece of meat, throw him, cut off another little piece of this ribeye and throw it out there because <laughs> this is the only thing that's feeding me right now through the offseason. I just assume all famous people or people in the NFL that are on staffs and everything, they listen to our podcast because I haven't heard them say they don't. That's True. a great point. Yeah. You'd think I, they would have come out and denied it publicly by yeah. now. Yeah. I'm assuming they're just covering their tracks by using a VPN. <laughs> probably that's um that's gonna do it for us it's been a lovely show we actually were gonna go through and grade the the position group but you know what you already know the grades for those position groups we'll do that when we get back here in a couple of weeks but um we are we're gonna take a bit of a two-week hiatus and we'll let mike and zach take a break um have a couple of guest hosts on it'll be interesting but um we're entering into the off season so we'll have plenty to not discuss for a while um that's all we got. Football and other F-words. Appreciate you tuning in as always. We're brought to you by broadwaysportsmedia.com. Please come check us out over there. Uh, for our podcast, please rate, review, and res- uh, subscribe. Share with your friends. Let people know that you like it. Uh, and as always, you have just been effed. A Broadway Sports Media Production.